As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. In 1936, Kansas City native Charlie Parker took to the stage at 16 years old and played so poorly that Count Basie's drummer threw a cymbal at his head. The act encouraged the saxophonist to become one of the hardest working musicians to ever live, and years later, Parker changed the music world forever. Since then, the music scene in Kansas City has gone through lots of changes, and this is a show dedicated to modern-day musicians who live and play in the pairs of the plains. From Tribune Audio Network, I'm Kendall Swank, and this is the Crazeology Podcast. My guest today is Cassie Joy, and she's a solo artist. And Cassie, you actually, you got your start, or a lot of people recognize you from your time on The Voice. Yeah. So before we get into anything else, let's talk about that experience. Because it, reality TV, you were, what, 27 at the time? 26. 26 at the time. And 27. It was a long okay. process. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> so how long were you actually like filming the, uh, the series then? Nine months. Wow. Yep. And Could it, have had a baby, but instead <laughs> I just got more followers and stuff. <laughs> nice. So we, everyone turned, you did blue yeah. right off the bat, and everyone loved it. So why did you decide that that was going to be your song to try and impress people with? Um, my mom actually talked me into using that song. I kind of thought, you know, nobody's impressed by yodeling anymore. That's not really a thing anymore. And I used to compete yodeling <laughs> when I was younger and kind of just thought that that had come and gone. And, um, she talked me into doing it. Um, I had tried out several times before and chosen other songs. And when I finally did what my mom told me to do, got through. And, uh, then for the blind auditions, you actually don't pick your song. Oh. Um, they pick it for you. And I was so, so lucky to get that song. Cause I think that's what changed so it all. It just happened to be something that you already knew and have performed yes, in the past? Yes, yes. And I was very lucky because there were some people that they would choose a song for them that it'd be a different genre or like a, kind of a different branding style than what they were used to. So I got just really lucky. I think it was just such an obscure song that they were like, she needs to do that as her blind, you know? So <laughs> walk people through the process then of getting onto this show. So do you send, do you start by sending in your own tape of stuff you've done in the past? Uh, you can, there's a lot of different ways that you can try out. You can do, um, the online submissions, um, the cattle call thing where, you know, there's 60,000 people at the mm. sprint center trying out. Um, but I, uh, I've done it both ways and wasn't successful <laughs> a lot of times. Uh, but the time that I did, get through um I was actually on vacation in Minnesota with my family and they saw my cover of Jolene on my YouTube channel and called me and um asked if I could fly out to LAX uh in two days to do a private audition so I got to skip the cattle call which was amazing because I just totally suck in those situations um so I got to skip that part and uh then you have three more auditions oh wow then you go to the blinds yeah you have three auditions, then you spend a month in L.A. to train for the blinds. <laughs> it's so much. So you basically just uprooted your entire life for this one opportunity. Yes. So 
were you confident that this was going to be something that you were actually going to make or how come you decided to take an entire month away from your life and what were you doing actually before that that you were just like okay it's time for me to move on yeah um i was playing full-time uh on broadway down in nashville um so four hours a day sometimes eight playing doubles just depends on the bills and you know uh just trying to make enough money to get out of the parking garage again um but getting that call i mean i had tried out for those shows you know, almost 10 times total for like America's Got Talent, X Factor, all the things. Um, and so when I finally got a yes, that was my first yes I had gotten in a really long time is what it felt like then. And so I just had to go, you know, kind of balls to the wall and just do it, whatever it takes. So so were you just a, a big fan of just this reality singing competition beforehand or how no, come you decided that was going to be the I didn't path? really watch a lot of those I think mainly because it would just hurt my heart so much <laughs> I'm like oh that's never gonna be me um but you know th those opportunities like how do you pass something like that up so I had kind of written off that you know I've been told no so many times on these shows that's just not for me I'm not like outspoken enough to you know be like the funny girl that runs into the audition room in a chicken costume or whatever you know um but that opportunity, like, you just have to say yes to that. You know, it was to get that kind of exposure. Um, you know, when it came to me, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yep, we're doing it. So was it like an instant, like people just all of a sudden you made your first appearance and the Facebook page just started lighting up with followers, the Twitter followers just came um, right away? Or was there a, a, a period where people kind of felt you out and then all of a sudden... Like, when did you actually notice that people were starting to pay attention to you? Um, so, actually, I had started to see, um, I've been singing um, since I was five and professionally since I was 10. So, people are always like, oh, you got your, you know, I, I, I knew you back when you started on The Voice. I'm like, if you only knew. <laughs> um, but, so, I had already had a pretty good following, fortunately, on Facebook um, mm -hmm. from, I had a video that went viral, um, Jackson by Johnny Cash and June Carter. I did it with my buddy Woody out in Nashville. And so, that video got up to 13 million views. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, it was insane. And I think that also kind of caught the attention of The Voice because that would kind of come up in the first interview. So, I think they had seen that too. So, so I was really fortunate to kind of walk in with a following and um, the voice, you know, obviously certainly helped with adding, you know, some more followers. Right. So when you're at your blind audition and you're waiting for these people to turn. So, I mean, you had a couple that turn basically right away. Mm -hmm. The person you went with, Blake Shelton, yes. didn't turn until no. third. So have you had a conversation with him about that, of, like, why was he hesitant? Or was he not hesitant? He just... Yeah, um, I don't think that this part aired, but what he said was he was waiting to hear if I was going to do the key change, because he knew that song so well, and he knew, mm -hmm. you know, what yodeling is and all of that. Um, so he was waiting until the key change to see how I would do with modulating and how my voice would sound on the yodel there. So then once, that's why he turned right when the key changed and... Very last second. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your experience like getting to work with Blake then? Because obviously he's a longtime country. He's a standard for most oh, yeah. people. Um, what was his coaching like? And, you know, how did that really push you forward into your career? Like after, you know, because after you left, you're mm -hmm. kind of just on your own. Yeah. Um, 
the whole coaching experience was awesome because I'm, you know, an independent artist. It my my team is my parents and my husband and you know the rest of my family and friends just like helping out when they can so I don't really get coached ever so it's just me having to critique myself and watch videos and stuff so to be coached from an outsider view and from somebody who is so you know successful and you know I'm obviously going to take every word of advice that he gives me and like same with when we got to be mentored by Luke Bryan for the battle rounds you know just getting that kind of advice from people who have been successful and, you know, kind of paved the way. So was that one of those things where you knew basically right off the bat that you were going to choose Blake Shelton? Yeah. And like before you do Ad- your... Adam Levine's kind of like freaking out and have a little know, pity party. And, and now time. looking back, I wonder if I should have picked Adam and if I would have gone farther if I wasn't with a country coach because everybody wants to be Blake with a country artist. Right. So now, I'm, you know, I'm kind of kicking myself, but what do you do? You know, you no regrets. So you already kind of mentioned you've been playing since you were five, and you're actually from Smithville, Missouri, yeah. so small town. Um, when you were 10 and you started doing this professionally, were you always just doing country covers, uh, country music? Was that the only thing you did, or have you always been like experimenting with genre? Yeah, um, I've been around the block, genre-wise, so to speak. Um, I did start in country, Um when I was five until, um, and then when I was 10, I went into the country Opry circuit in the Midwest. So I would be singing all the classics, Patsy Cline, you know, Tammy, mm-hmm. Tuck, Tammy Wynette, Tanya Tucker. Um, and then when I was 13, I got signed by Radio Disney. So I was singing in a pop girl group doing the whole headset really? business, you know, dancing. Um, so I did that for a few years and then that kind of migrated into, um, a school called Rock U. So it was a a music school Mm -hmm. uh, teaching rock music. So I was in that until that got bought out by the Paul Green School of Rock, which is like the Jack Black movie kind of based off of this rock school. Right. So I was in rock for quite a while until I was like 23. And then I, no, 22. And then in 2012, I went back to country. And I've been here since. Why did you decide to make the change then? Um, I don't know. I country has always been my first love. It's where my voice feels its truest. Like I'm not having to do anything to it to sound a certain way. I'm not trying to like get rasp or get a rock sound. My voice just comes out country. So that's just always been so natural. And I love yodeling. Um, and my, my rock band had broken up and I didn't play any instruments at the time. And so I had to pick up a guitar and a piano and kind of teach myself to play. And when I started writing songs again, um, they were country songs. So that's kind of when I knew like, all right, we're going back to put my boots back on. Right. (laughs) So was this like... Was that your your style because it was also your parents' style or no? <laughs> so what, what was your like influence that they were playing for you when you were growing up? Um, well, my mom has definitely uh, influenced me with country, classic country, and mm-hmm. she was the momager, still kind of is. Um, so she would book all my country gigs and tell me, you know, what songs I need to learn and all of that. So um, I'm very appreciative that she. Uh, put the classics on me at that time. And then my dad had me listening to, you know, ZZ Top, Aerosmith, um, classic rock. Then my brother and sister listening to Dr. Dre with them and, you know, the the new Adam Sandler CD. And so (laughs) I've been just influenced by all sorts of music and maybe that's why I like to sing it all too. (laughs) For those of you who may not have followed Cassie's career so far, she's done a lot of work since her time on The Voice. 
In 2015, she released an album called Love on Repeat, then followed with several other albums, including a cover album, Christmas album, and multiple singles. Before we get back to our conversation, let's listen to one of the tracks off her newest EPs called The Bright Side. This is Truck. your experience been like as a woman in the music industry um 
I haven't seen too much of like the whole, you know, discrimination thing, mainly, I guess, maybe because I'm not having to be concerned about radio play because I'm independent. Um, but I think that it's really cool just to see that women are finally starting to be played more. And I'm glad that it's getting talked about now and that somebody is speaking up that like, hey, this is an issue. And like, there's two spots for women on the top 40 and it's all men, you know? So I like that that's being brought up and um, hopefully by the time that we get real ramped up, you know, there'll, there'll be a spot for me. Even when you're like doing shows, I mean, is there, do you feel like there's any sort of people look at you or, or other artists, other managers, anything else? Oh, do you yeah. think they look at you differently because you are a woman? Yeah, I definitely feel like, Sometimes I probably don't get taken as seriously because, you know, oh, you're pretty good for a girl or, you know, you're pretty good girl guitar player, you know, so that does get annoying. And, you know, I do dress super girly and I wear really high heels on stage and stuff. But, you know, I can still get down and, you know, whip my hair around and stuff. So so what would you say to, you know, a young aspiring uh girl who wants to get into country music and kind of follow maybe not necessarily follow the same path as you because not everyone's going to have an opportunity like the voice but you know what what would be your main like message to young girls who are trying to get in the music industry i think it's just all about finding your own voice finding your brand and just sticking with it and being confident and staying your own course you know so many people try to knock you off course because they're dangling carrots in front of your face all the time um but if you just believe in yourself and stay confident I feel like that just shows so true and shines so bright to other people and listeners and ultimately your fans that you want to gain so you kind of mentioned something that kind of ties a little bit into this with when you're saying radio play and you're not very concerned because you're independent. Yeah. I mean, and I mean that as in like, I will sell my soul to be on the radio, obviously, <laughs> but being independent, it's not as uh, in the cards, you know, cause there's only 40 spots there and the labels buy those up. So I'm told. <laughs> so is it, is it one of these things where are you discouraged at all because you're making music and you have a lot of fa fans, but it's not going to their everyday stations or is it something where you're just, you're content and happy with? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Um, I used to be pretty discouraged and it's like, you know, label or bust. And if I'm not on a major label, I'm failing every day. And I used to get really down on myself. Um, but there is so much talk and so much buzz about the independent artists now and with streaming and Spotify kind of taking over radio, it's so much easier to just reach a fan base, especially with, you know, Facebook and Facebook advertising and marketing and all of that. I mean, you don't really need a label as much anymore. Um, so it's, I've, I'm still like wrapping my head around being content where I'm at. Um, but also not, you know, I'm still hungry for it and for the next step. And I'm always reaching for, you know, the, the label, radio play, festival tours, all of that. Um, but the whole point of this is to write music that changes people's lives and to connect with them and I can do that with or without a label so I'm grateful for that and to be in the industry at this time can you share any stories of people who have come up and have 
you know, at, or told you that you've changed their lives or how you've changed their lives? Yeah, I actually have a really special one from recently. Um, a fan of mine named Deborah, um, she just got uh, my signature tattooed oh, on her cool. arm. So I was like, whoa, this is a next level. This I've really made it, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she wrote me a really sweet uh, letter about why she got it and why um, I've inspired her um, and kind of spread joy, which is the whole, this whole bright side movement that I've been trying to kind of create. Um, just that it's really had an effect on her and that is what keeps me going, you know. It's not about the tattoos, you know. Right. Um, but if anybody wants to get one, send me a picture. <laughs> um, but that was just so special to know that like the reason that I'm doing this is actually connecting with people. So I guess explain that a little bit better, like this bright side movement. Yeah. Like what, why are you dedicating yourself to bringing in this positivity, even though not all music is positive and no. sometimes <laughs> it can, um, sometimes people connect with the stuff that's not just a positive uplifting. Totally. Um, yeah. And I definitely have my fair share of depressing playlists that I listen to <laughs> as well. Everybody loves a sad song. Um, no, I've, uh, yeah, are definitely <laughs> yes, for me. yes. Make me cry. Um, now the, the whole bright side thing. So I wrote this whole EP and was trying to figure out what to call it and realized like, holy crap, this whole thing is kind of like a positive spin on like any situation that, you know, life brings us. Cause it's, uh, it's about all different things. Um, you know, life, death, love, loss, all the things, but it's finding that positive spin on everything and kind of, I've been going through this like personal development and self growth journey for, I think like a year now. Um, I just, I don't, I came across like, you know, like Tony Robbins and Ed Milet, Rachel Hollis, and, um, they've just really been inspiring me to like be more present in my life and, you know, use my platform that I have for good and for change. And so I've just been trying to make all of my shows about this now, my social media about it, because if I can do that and my fans can do that, you know, I have, you know, thousands of followers that if they can do that, how much is that going to spread? And then like we can actually change the world, which is insane, you yeah. know, oh, and it's cool. real. <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, so let's talk about one of the songs off the new EP. Um, let's go. Let's talk about Even Want To. And how does that really tie into your message? Yeah. So that one, um, I uh, I had to, I was having total writer's block and I had no inspiration for anything. And I was like, nope, I need to write a song today. And that's what's happening. So I went into my music room and I was like, I need to like hack into all my old like angsty high school accounts. So I got into my like old aim. That's brave. <laughs> right? That's I know. It was brave. really scary. Um, <laughs> and it was, man, it was a moody day because I was like, oh man, I am in this and reading all my old Zanga entries, which was oh like my before God. MySpace. Oh yeah. Eyes of a Tragedy. That was my handle. So you know it was moody. <laughs> and I'm finding all this good, just juicy gossip. And so I kind of wrote that song off of just all of these memories that, you know, make and break you, but that it makes you who you are today. And it's these memories that you can't forget because it's so like ingrained in you, but you don't want to forget them, you know, cause that's everything happens for a reason, I believe. So if anything changed, who were you then before that positive movement? If, if you had this teen angsty or not necessarily teen oh, yeah. angsty, but if, if what, what was your life like at the time that this was, your expression of 
uh, that seems very different than who you are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was just angsty um, and just kind of floating through life, hope it, hoping that something will happen to me to explode my career. And um, I didn't really have a, a handle on like my emotions or what even was going on in my life. You know, like you don't realize how unpresent you are until you become present in your life and what's going on and in your relationships with your family, friends, everything, your diet, your ev working out, all the things. Um, and so, I mean, I don't even know who I was then, but I do know who I am now. And so I guess that's the most important part. <laughs> all right, let's actually check it out. This is uh, even one to Cassie Joy. Let's get moody.
What have been some of the struggles that maybe you and your husband have gone through because you are a public face, you're touring, playing all the time, you know, you're on social media, you're doing this, uh, these things. Has there ever been issues that have come up because you're just a public person where maybe he's not as well recognized as you are? Um, actually, Brian does get recognized. <laughs> he has before. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, I don't think we've really had issues. We've had sucky moments. Like, we, you know, we had to live apart for two years because oh, we wow. had um, just bought our first home together in Smithville, right down the street from my parents. It was amazing. It was the best ever. We were there for like six months, and I just knew that I had to go to Nashville. I was like, Brett, <laughs> I know we just bought this house, but uh, I got to move 600 miles away. Is that okay? And he said, absolutely. And on New Year's Day 2015, he took me out there and I started recording and kind of never came back. And um, two, a year and a half, two years after that, he um, was finally able to quit his job and come out and uh, move in with me in Nashville. And then promptly after that, I got the call to go to L.A. So then I had to leave Brian in Nashville. Oh, so, gosh, it was just, you know, him chasing me around the country. us just trying to be together. And now we are so lucky. Like he was able to quit the corporate America nine to five thing. And now we're traveling full time, you know, kind of making our own schedule and just being together 24 seven with our dogs, just, you know, going where the music takes us. And so it's been from how things started and living apart all the time and him working most of the time and, you know, doing the nine to five thing. It's just been a really cool story. I feel like one of the, one of the songs that or one of the videos you have that has just completely gone viral is your song. I do. Yeah. And it's mostly images from your wedding and your scene at your wedding. What was writing that song like and how far into relationship did you actually write it uh i wrote it like two days before the wedding really it was what a terrible decision that was <laughs> um was yeah it a sit down I, like i need to write this oh man right i now? had to fake some bridezilla moments because i did not want a soul to know i was doing this i love surprises like more than life and and if anybody ruins a surprise like it'll ruin my whole entire life so i was like i'm gonna write this song i'm not gonna tell anybody but the pastor because he had to give me the microphone um so i'm writing this song in secret i'm having to write it literally inside of my head because because we all but go to the bathroom together. You know, we're together 24-7. So how am I going to write this song? And I wanted it to be our vows, but also a song that I could use. Let's double dip here. Um, and so I wanted it to mean something and still be like our wedding song and things that I wanted to promise him like for real. And so it was such a hard song to write, to find that happy medium of like, I'm trying to write a hit song, but it also has to mean something for us. It's our flipping vows, you know. So I'm writing this thing in my head and I was like, I have to be able to record this thing and I have to be able to sing it out loud at some point. So I had to like fake this bridezilla moment. I'm like, I just need some peace and quiet. Nobody come up to this upstairs bedroom where I'll be secretly recording a song. <laughs> so later I got to tell my mom, I'm like, remember when I was yelling downstairs for nobody to bother me anymore? It's because I was trying to write that song in secret. So that was the one day I got to like, mess with it and get the kinks out. Um, I had to record the guitar part in my car 
And um, really? yeah, so that was a That's biggest a surprise little... I've ever pulled I off. I mean, did you do it from the passenger side then? Well, I was in the back and I have a baby tailor. So okay. it's uh, it's a, like a little bigger than a ukulele. So I used my little baite for that. Nice. Uh, so, you know, you have, you know, you've been married for how long now? Oh, oh yeah, I didn't answer that part of the question. Oh yeah, so we were, to, yeah. Um, we were together for almost five years when we got married. Um, and we've been married for two years in October. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about one of your older songs because, well, I was Red Lips. Oh. So the thing with Red Lips, though, is that you're kind of a, it, it's kind of talking about somebody who you're trying to make feel bad that. Yes, of course. So. <laughs> Before you were married, was there was there was the song inspired by somebody specific? Yeah. And does your husband know that? Oh yeah, yeah, he knows who everything's about. Yeah, um, yeah, that one. That's a sassy one. That one's just. I had this idea actually. It was in um, O'Malley's when I when I got the idea in Weston, um, and I did the little that's a cave bar, right? Yes, the okay. cave bar. Yeah. yeah. And there's no Wi-Fi, so you like have to talk to people and everything, Ooh. and there's no service. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I wrote that, uh, that little hook, uh, down in the cave bar, but yeah, that's a sassy one. That one's just about, yeah, getting back at the guy who did you wrong. <laughs> so what did he do that you wrote an entire song about? Him? Well, pretty much what's in the song of, you know, I saw the text messages of, you know, oh, snap. the winky face, you know, you know what that means? The winky the face too far. <laughs> I'm like, I know what's going on here. So yeah. All was that. it like an immediate two time in big blues? Was it an immediate like you you saw it, boom, you're out, you're feeling emotion, you just started writing, and this is what it was, or was there like a time period where you kind of just thought about it, and then all of a sudden you, you yeah, wrote the song? no, right after that breakup happened, and that's actually how my rock band broke up. Don't date the guitar people player. <laughs> um, yeah. Most people would probably agree with you. Yeah, they all say it. I'm like, no, not me. It's fine. <laughs> um, but right after that happened, I was writing all the heartbreak songs. And then about a year later was when I got to the piss ant songs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's check it out. Red Lips. Yesterday, you loved me in every way But there was a twist in the road She had dark hair up gold And I know you love this bar So I'ma show you how big of a scar You left on this old old guitar girl's heart I got my red lips, red heels, red dress I feel like it's gonna take no time Getting on you
If you're enjoying this episode of the Crazeology Podcast, make sure to click subscribe and tell your friends. Also, make sure to check out other podcasts from Tribune Audio Network, including those from Fox 4, Kansas City. You can learn about modern dating from Kim Burns and Shannon O'Brien on It's a Date, or keep up with NASCAR news with listening to The Race Zone with Sam Atwell and Brian Dule. Now let's get back to our conversation with Cassie Joy. You're very involved with charity work. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to pick the charities that you did? Um, I, so even, uh, just last night I was at chicken and pickle doing the Volley Llama celebrity, uh, pickleball tournament for pediatric cancer research. Mark and Noah's, was there. yeah, with the, oh yeah, I saw and all Abby the, too, yep. Yeah. And I saw Bill and Belinda there and, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, um, I have a degree in early childhood education, so oh, okay. children and education has always been very, very close to my heart, and my family is all um, educators as well, so um, I've also been affected by pediatric cancer just with friends and their children going through that, and um, so that's always been something I've wanted to be involved with, and um, I've been lucky to have a platform to do that, um, and I'm also really involved with anything with animals. So I've been really involved with the Nashville um, Animal Shelter, uh, Nashville Metro. And um, we've done some stuff with Casey Pet Project here. Um, But really anything, animals and kids. With early your degree being in early childhood education, was there a time where you were actually teaching or did music happen so quickly that you didn't even get a chance to work with your degree? Um, I... Um, taught at the School of Rock. So I was, I feel like I was using my degree then. Um, but I was, um, I was still doing music at the time. I think I was already back to country doing my solo project. Um, and I was teaching the pre-K music program there. So I was actually getting to create curriculum and send out newsletters to the parents. And um, I was creating a curriculum for the whole School of Rock Um 71 schools or something around the country so I was lucky that I got to you know kind of use my degree a little bit there um but I feel like I'm still using it today just how so the the speech classes I got to take and how to you know public speak better and um just the whole teaching degree in general really taught me a lot about psychology and how children work how people work how they think um and how to communicate with them to really get you know, your point across and how to communicate with kids in general. And I have so many like little tiny baby joy friends and it's really helped, um, you know, knowing to get down on their level. You know, I learned that in college and, um, so it's, I, I'm definitely still using it. It wasn't a total waste of money. (laughs) Do you, do you, would you want to go into full-time teaching at any point? Or do you think that just because you have such a passion for music that, this is it. Like, yeah, I don't know if I would ever teach. Um, like I would do stuff here and there. And I used to substitute teach, um, in Smithville at my old school, which was so fun. Um, but I don't know. I, 
I think now, like, if, if I got punched in the throat or something and couldn't sing, I always say, like, if I got punched in the throat, I'd be a teacher. But now, I don't know, I'm, like, really, really into social media marketing and just branding and all the the marketing aspects of all of that. Um, so I think I would do something there. Maybe I would teach social media marketing. You know, mm -hmm. I do love teaching things and, you know, yeah, just teaching people things. So I feel like I could maybe teach something at some point, but I don't know if I could do the whole kindergarten classroom thing anymore. Well, why not? I don't know. I just, I don't like monotony. I don't like things being the same every day. And I think I figured that out when I was student teaching. I was like, oh, the same, you're all adorable, but the same 20 faces every day and that schedule every day and the same song. And, you know, if you come to my shows, you see my set list is like, bipolar it's like all over the place so I need change and craziness and hoopla you know and I felt like I wasn't going to really get that as much as I needed it in a classroom what if people haven't seen you before like I mean can you describe what you mean by uh the, the bipolar set list? Set list? yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah I mean so my set list um I when I'm solo I'm playing guitar, piano, and then sometimes I have my little band in a box that's playing, which is a laptop, people. Um, and so it'll be totally different sounds all the time. And I'm also going from Johnny Cash to Lady Gaga to whatever somebody yells out in the audience or we'll do yodeling or, you know, so... I never really know what's going to happen at my shows. Sometimes I leave the set list and, you know... Sometimes I forget to make one. Sometimes it's on a paper plate. It was last weekend. And you just really never know what's going to happen. And it's kind of fun. It keeps me on my toes. And, you know, I like kind of leaving it up to the audience sometimes, you know. You want to hear something old, something new? Are we talking like an entire song that is just yodeling? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's some words, but nobody cares about those. <laughs> I just want to hear you yodel. Yeah. How long have you been, was yodeling like? the first thing that you kind of learn because it's a very special it's skill. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, no, my mom actually showed me Cowboy Sweetheart by Leanne Rimes when I was like 12. Okay. And I was like, oh, well, and, and she was like, uh, and she's 13 years old. I was like, well, I'm 13 or however old I was right. at the time. And so I'm like, well, I can do that. And so I tried to learn to yodel and, and it was hard at first. I mean, it's a weird thing to do, especially when you're, a young person trying to sound pretty when you're singing. You can't sound pretty when you're yodeling. Like, that's the point. <laughs> I don't know. So. <laughs> I mean, I think yodeling sounds good. Like, I've, I've heard you yodel, you know. It, it puts you right good. to sleep, right? It's the lullaby. <laughs> it is a really unique skill set, mm -hmm. though. So how do you utilize that in your, your own music and not just in yeah. old covers that you're doing? Um, that's kind of accidental. Um, I think I've just... I love yodeling so much and I love flipping my voice. And so I've kind of habitually done it at the ends of like a lot of my lines and people have pointed it out. They're like, I love that you put the yodel thing in all your songs. I'm like, am I? <laughs> I didn't notice. So I think it's just kind of become how I sing. So it's now I try to be a little bit more mindful of it. And like when I'm writing songs, I'm like, ooh, here's an opportunity for a little baby yodel. Let's do that. And so I kind of try to incorporate it more now and be a little bit more aware of it. What's probably your favorite song that that of yours that you include some like major yodeling parts in? It's not major, but my song Sparks, I added a little yodely guy and that was right after the voice. So when I got off the show, I was like I immediately need to get a single out and it needs to kind of channel blue because that's what 
I got, you know, some popularity on, but I'm, I don't want to release, you know, a 90s sounding country song. So I wrote Sparks, um, trying to sound a little bit more hip and modern, but still throwing in the yodel, which, man, I wrestled with that for a long time of like, how do you write a new yodel song that isn't like the yodely guy from Price is Right, who's my spirit animal? But he's not hip anymore. <laughs> he's so cool, though. I love him. I love watching him go up the mountain. I'm going to be him for Halloween this year. Okay. I'm going to make Brian be a Price is Right model. This is a, the a girl. exclusive <laughs> spoiler, right? Yes. Spoiler alert, it's happening. Do you already have the costume? No, but it's really going to happen. Seriously. I've, it's all I talk about. I've been looking forward to Halloween for, like, since last Halloween because I came up with this idea. It's going to happen. Have, so have you already started looking at least for pieces to know where you're going to get them? Or I mean, Brian's just going to be in stilettos and a strapless dress, so he's covered. <laughs> Let him wear one of mine. <laughs> just give him one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> the images. The images, yes. Let's let's go back to another one off of um, off your new album, Macklin Sky. Mm-hmm. And well, what's the story behind this song? So Macklin was um, one of my biggest fans and um, she was five years old and she was at all of my shows. Sometimes she would um, rush the stage. Shows and, when you were in the Kansas City Metro? Yes, okay. yeah, so she was from Smithville, my hometown. Okay. Um, known by the whole community. I mean, she was just the most amazing little bright light. Um, and she was unfortunately killed in a car accident. Oh, about a year ago a year and some days ago actually yeah um and her family asked me to sing at her service and I was like I can't possibly do that Uh, like I can't you know get through that it was so fresh um and so I decided to write her a song and that's kind of like the only way that I've ever been able to like cope with anything in my life is I have to write a song about it or I can't process it. So I wrote her this song and um, they played it at the service. So I just hunkered down in my little studio, wrote it, recorded it and sent it off. And um, the community really latched onto it. And that's like why I wrote it too, was to have Macklin's voice in a song. You hear her in the beginning and the end of the song. She's singing Jolene. That was her favorite. Um, and so I wanted something where like her friends could hear her voice, her name, and her message and her legacy in a song instead of hearing the word Macklin and being sad. You know, she was so colorful and all things rainbows and unicorns. So I wanted to write a song that would represent that, that would kind of just carry her through and something that could carry her family through as well. Because it was just the worst situation Ever. And, you know, if we can find any kind of light through music, you know, that's what I was trying to do there. So do you, do you still talk to the family often? And yes. How, how have they been doing? Yeah, I um, actually went to school with um, a lot of her family. Her mom or her grandma was uh, my child development teacher. Oh, so okay. kind of got me into the whole early childhood thing. So it's kind of a weird full circle. And Smithville is such a, a tight knit community. So we all you know, came together and mourned together and still are, you know, we just had a vigil for her birthday that was just in June. Um, so it's been tough, but you know, Smithville has been strong together. How important, 
important has that community been for you since you've left and you went on a Nashville and LA and all that? Yeah. I mean, Smithville is still everything to me. It's the first stage that I ever sang on was the Smithville courtyard stage for the talent show when I was five. And I get to come back every year for hot summer nights and perform on that same stage. And it is my favorite show every year because it's my people. It's, you know, some of the the older people who are, they bring their lawn chairs hours before, you know, they were at that show when I was five and they've watched me grow and they've been there with me through it all. And they've seen the ups and downs and the different genres and radio Disney and the voice and all these crazy things. So to take them along on that ride, especially with just building this whole like joyful community, um, it's just been so special to take my hometown on it too, because they really are like family to me. We love Macklin, celebrated a lot of birthdays with her, and we miss her and want her family to know that we remember and care. They know they can't see and touch her, but they still talk to her and they still sing to her at school. Grace is, is this is it. Everybody has come together and loving, supportive. You're not judging anybody. You are happy, you love everyone. You could light up a room just by walking in, and all eyes were on her. That's just a little bit of Fox Force coverage of Macklin Lucas's death. On Sunday, June 24, 2018, Samantha Jones decided to drink and drive. Her daughter was in the car, and she crashed. Court documents say Jones told officers, quote, I never drink this much. I'm so stupid. My baby is my world. I don't care if I go to jail. I just want my baby to be okay, end quote. On July 12, 2019, Samantha Jones was sentenced to nine years in prison. Lucas may be gone, but her life and smile will always be remembered by Cassie Joy's song. This is Macklin Sky. I can still see you singing all the words to your favorite song. Hair in your fancy dress all night long I wonder if you ever knew how much this old song loved you I bet you're beautiful
episode today was produced by myself kendall swank with production assistance from jacob orlowski and mike simpson and editing done by mike simpson for more episodes of crazeology you can visit fox4kc.com or search crazeology wherever you get your podcast until next time this is just drive by Cassie joy
Just in-